you're advocating for women in construction 100%, but the things in my brain that you're talking about as well too, obviously minus few, it advocates for just people in construction. It's like, people. hey, this is how we can make the industry better. You're not here being like, no, 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 like, like screw the guys that have been doing it forever and putting up with the junk and the women coming in. Well, we want this treatment. You're like, no, like, hey, there's stuff we can do to make women's lives better on a construction site for sure. But this other stuff that I'm talking about, it's actually good just for everybody. It's got to be everyone. In order to make any change, it has to be everyone. Welcome back, everybody, to the Con Expo Con Egg podcast. I am your host, as always, Taylor White. This podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Komatsu. With me today, I have somebody who is actually a first guest to come on for a second time. So I'm super happy to introduce today someone who has received awards such as the Infrastructure Apprentice of the Year. We are the City Rising Star Award and also was named among WES's top 50 women in engineering, Katie Cranes. Thank you for being on for the second time. Thank you for having me. No, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, we got a little bit of history that goes back. You've been on the podcast, but also not only that was we were on a panel together at the last Con Expo. Yes. Yeah. That, no, that was, that was an experience for me. It really was a, an experience. I mean, you kind of took over the show though. I mean, you had a Lee Bear, like you were on a billboard and I mean, that was a pretty surreal experience. No, that, that's a lie. I never took over the show. I was, when I turned up to do that panel and I saw you turning up and Matt Stanley and you've got like your entourage with you, I have never seen anything like that in my whole life. So I definitely didn't take over the show. I was blown away with you guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess in the, the feeling uh, is mutual then, but I guess for the second time around, but maybe for people that might just be tuning in or kind of listening, I'd like for you to give a little bit of rundown on kind of who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, my name's Kate Kelleher, based in the UK, if you can't tell by my very London accent. I started life as an apprentice around 10 years ago now as a crane operator. I still work in construction. I've changed roles slightly. I still work in lifting, but I'm technical and development officer now, which sounds kind of wordy compared to crane operator, but yeah, still, still going. Okay. So it sounds like Katie, that maybe there may have been a portion of this conversation that didn't make it uh, out of my little bit. I actually thought, so me and Katie talked before a little bit of pretext and up until now, the podcast, I was saying, oh, she's been on, she's been on. And she corrects me and says, I just got to stop you there, Taylor. I don't think you've actually been on the, I've been on the podcast before. I must be thinking about, cause we've had conversations over zoom and stuff just with the panel and everything. So that must be what I am confusing that with. So, so my bad, but I guess, so first time on explain, how did you get into the position, I guess, of Katie Cranes? How did you get into working with Cranes or how did you start your career? It's real random. And, and I think, you know, most women that I've spoke to come into construction randomly. I don't think very few of us planned and went into construction. And then it was the same for me. I, I went to university, did English literature, came out, fell into sales, did sales for years, about 10 years, selling different things, magazine spaces, mobile phones. And I ended up in recruitment, putting out trades and labor recruitment. So bricklayers, plasterers, plumbers, and I kind of just sat there one day and I was really sick of sales. I wasn't a very good salesperson. I'm not great with money, but I'm good at talking. So I guess it kind of got by. 
And I thought, could I work in construction? And it was that kind of light bulb moment. And I didn't, I didn't have any women that I knew that worked in construction. So it was a bit of a leap for me to think, well, I can do this. Why not? And I didn't really know what I would do. And I didn't really know what I'd be good at. So I didn't have any qualifications. I didn't have any experience. I didn't have any tickets. And I kind of thought, well, what if I send out my CV to a few different places and see if anything sticks? And it was kind of that, you know, lucky. People often think that, you know, I walk around London looking at cranes thinking, oh, I really want to really see myself up there. This is fantastic. You don't? What? <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't like that. It wasn't like this lifelong dream. It was just an opportunity. I got a phone call one day when I was driving home from work saying, how do you feel about being a crane operator? We've got an apprenticeship starting. And I was like, yeah, leave that with me. Let, let me just sit on that for a while. And, and uh, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. I got home and I thought, could I be a crane operator? I'll either be really good at it or I'll be really rubbish at it. But someone's offering me a bit of an opportunity here to try and change my life. Maybe I should go for the interview. But that takes some form of like, I mean, like you have to have this thing in your brain where like you're adventurous or you're seeking, I don't know, like it's, it's just impressive, right? It's not like uh, something that, like you're saying, you kind of just were like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go into this. Like you got to have something in your brain that's like, you know, I'm different than everybody else. Like I want to, I'm going after this. I think it was, if I find my honest, I was just so desperate to get out of sales. I'd been trying to get out of sales for years and years. And I thought, well, let's go to the interview and see what happens with this job. So I turned up the interview and there were like loads of guys there. It was all men. And I was like, oh, Christ, like, I don't fit in here. Why, why am I doing this? Oh, they don't hire females. <laughs> what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> Shit. <laughs> well, and it was that moment where I thought, well, anyway, I, th I just thought I'm not going to get this job anyway. I'll go through the interview and I'll see what happens. There's no way they're going to offer me this job. And I already had a job. So I was kind of like, well, you know. You don't try, you never know. And then I got this phone call saying, oh, well, you know, we're really impressed with you. We'd like you to start the apprenticeship. We think you'd be good. We think we can move you on to management at some point. You've got these qualities and all this stuff. And the first thing I said was, I was like, it's not because I was the only woman in the room, was it? Is that why you offered me the job? Because <laughs> that's where your mind immediately goes. Yeah. Is it like, a good luck or? <laughs> was I the token? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's interesting. I mean, that, that's like that kind of come up is just so cool because you were actually then you were the first, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were the first female on the lifting technician apprenticeship. I was. Yeah. So I was the first female on the lifting technician apprenticeship. The first female my company had, I believe. So yeah, that's wild. It was crazy. And you, you kind of quickly realize that you are a little bit different, you know, <laughs> you kind of, you know, what, you know, I mean, you know what sites are like and. I doubt oh, sites yeah. in the UK are that different, but um, no, all the you same. Kinda, you kind of realize that you're a little bit unique, maybe, and you're in a, an interesting position. There's a polite way of putting it. Yeah, no, I totally get where you're going with that, and I 100. percent That's what I mean. You know, it takes uh, it takes some some serious strength even to do that. So then you got your lifting technician apprenticeship. Yeah. Then you're like, hey, now I can operate cranes. Now I'm a crane operator. How does that process work? Like. Do you start by being the person on the ground rigging stuff up or do you just like hop into a crane or like, can you operate a big crane or a small crane? I don't know. Nothing. It's an interesting one. So part of the, li the lifting, um, what's, what's interesting is in part of my new job, I'm actually rewriting the apprenticeship at the moment that I did. So it's quite, it's quite, a, it's come full circle. Holy. But yeah, when I started, 
I was the first cohort that went through. So the very first group of people that did this apprenticeship. So as part of the lifting technician apprenticeship, I did tower cranes, I did crawler cranes, I did mupes, I did slinger signaler, so on the ground, and loads of other stuff that I don't use anymore. And then once you've done your apprenticeship, the apprenticeship in total was only, not the apprenticeship, the time at college was about three months. We work in our yard after that. So you work in the yard slinging. I did tower cranes. I did crawler cranes for a while until you kind of get your confidence up and you're a little bit more competent because it's, it's quite fast track in the UK with tickets. It's like, here's your ticket, go on, crack on. Whereas a good company will kind of try and build you up a little bit and uh, do that. And then I got my first construction site after that. And I decided I wanted to do crawler cranes rather than tower cranes. They want my bag. So the crawler cranes are ones that have wheels. No, they're the ones that have tracks. So I do have, have mobile tracks. ticket as well, which has okay. wheels, but I don't have a HGV to, to drive it on the road. So the, one, the ones on tracks, not the sky high ones. How does, there's so many, right? I know. <laughs> so at the time of doing this, you started doing LinkedIn and then you started gaining a ton of attention on LinkedIn and social media. So like, was that strategic where you're like, okay, hey, I think I'm kind of in this unique position. I kind of want to share more about it. Or, hey, I'm passionate about cranes now that I'm in it. I want to share about that. Let me put that online. Because that kind of shaped and evolved, I feel like, the brand, the person, Katie Cranes. It did. And it was really strange because I was on LinkedIn prior to this job as a recruitment consultant. And nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted to connect. <laughs> nobody wanted to hear from me because I'm selling. When you're selling something, obviously people aren't interested. Although I realized throughout my whole life I've been selling, but it's, it's in a different guise. It's a lot less obvious now. And <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> with the, the social media, I, I just noticed when I Googled like crane operator, it was all men. It was all men, plasterer, plumber, painter, whatever, all guys. I thought we need to flood images out there. I need to get more images of women doing different things out there. And I noticed people were kind of interested in what I was doing and they were interested in cranes and my following slowly started to creep up. And the first site I was on was a crossrail site, which is a big project in London, the new Elizabeth line, it's called after Queen Elizabeth. It's quite a substantial project, which comes with a lot of government funding and things like that. And they kind of pushed me forward for a lot of things. So when we'd have like government officials come on site, be like, right, you're going to meet them, go and say hello, you know, and you kind of get put in the limelight a little bit. That's so cool. It's a really strange place to be in. It gets, you know, you kind of go, oh, it's just because I'm a woman. Like, and yeah. I remember the other crane operator who used to share the crane with me was like, why are they always putting you forward for these things? And I was like, well, maybe it's because I can talk to people. Maybe it's because I have that ability to have a half intelligent conversation and talk about what we're doing here and things like that. And I like to think it was that rather than, you know, I'm just a woman with pink hair sat on the crane somewhere on a construction site. Yeah, 100%. It has to be, though. I mean, it's not just that. I mean, like, they're putting somebody in the spot like that. I mean, someone such as yourself, like, obviously, you're putting your, you're a good cock, you good speak, you know how to handle yourself. So I think that obviously that's a huge role in, in playing that, too. When did you see a takeoff on social media? And especially because LinkedIn, correct me if I'm wrong, was your first large following, right? And then from there, it's been building all of these other platforms. Yeah. And LinkedIn's still the biggest, which is strange because I, I feel like it's one of those places that are a bit harder to kind of excel on. And, you know, I, I can't excel anywhere else but LinkedIn. So kudos to anyone who has a good following anywhere else. But it's tough, eh? It is. It is. But all the, I think it's because it was just 
I think because I was talking about cranes and talking about construction and again, that unique woman in construction in a crane kind of thing. And people hadn't seen that before. And a bit like, I didn't know women operated cranes. You know, even when they offered me the job, I thought women don't operate cranes because you weren't taught that in school. So I, I gathered a following that was outside of construction as well as inside of construction, which kind of blew it up, I think. That's awesome. So now would you say that like, obviously, you know, so your social media and like same with me as well too, right? You're kind of showcasing what you want to showcase. What would you say like, are you advocating for? Are you showcasing? What's your thing? Do you know what? It's changed. And when I first got into it, when I was first in Cranes, I was like, anyone can do this. Why aren't more women doing this? This is fantastic. This is, you know, I'm earning like triple the money. I'm doing this fantastic job. I can operate a crane, which is between me, you and everyone else is the only one thing in my life I actually done really well. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I just skated through everything else, but crane operating was the one thing I excelled at. And I thought, why aren't more people doing this? That's where it all kind of stemmed from. And then I, I, you know, oh, women in construction, we need more women in construction. This is my early thoughts. And then later on, you become a little bit hardened and a little bit more aware of things that are going on in industry. And I moderate a group called Women on the Tools and you read people's stories and you go, oh my God, horrendous things are happening. Horrendous things are happening to women on construction sites. Why is this happening? And then you go, Okay, the numbers of women in construction haven't changed in the UK in like 20 odd years. They haven't changed. And it's not because we're not getting more women in, which we are. It's because we can't keep them. Why can't we keep them? What, what are we missing? There's fundamentals in the construction site, little things that make big changes to people's lives where we're just missing a trick on. And, you know, I do a lot of school talks and things like that as well. And I even come down to school talks where I'm like, I'm selling this as a dream to these kids. I'm absolutely selling this to a dream. And these awful things are happening to people. Am I setting these kids up for failure? And I started to feel a bit guilty about it. That wasn't at the start. At the start, I'm like, yeah, women, we need women, we need more diversity. And then you go sit back and you go, hold up, we need to change things. It's not a case of pushing people in. We can push as many people into the industry as we want. But unless we change how we do things, we're never going to get any more people. You know, these skill shortages and, oh, we need young people. We need young people. No, we need to change how we do things to get people. What are those things? Some of them are really simple, really, really simple. I talk often about my first day on site and it was horrendous. It was so bad. It was so, so bad. I don't think anything can set you up for it. And I, you know, you get a text message, turn up at half seven. This is big site in central London, you know, tier one contractor. And I turn up and I'm like, the guy's like, yeah, yeah, go upstairs. I'm like, okay, right. So I walk into this room. There's a room full of men. There's a guy at the front talking. They all turn and look at me and stop what they're doing. I'm like, what am I doing? So I just carry on walking through the room because I think, oh, this must be the right place. This is where they told me to go. I get to the back of the room. Eventually, they all turn around and continue with their meeting. I slide down the back of the wall <laughs> into almost like a fetal position on the floor. And then I'm going, I can start questioning myself. I'm like, what the hell are you doing to yourself? Why are you doing this? I wasn't even in the right meeting. I wasn't in the induction. But unless you've been on site, you don't know what you're stepping into. You don't know what an induction's meant to be. You don't know the right place you're meant to be. And then I went on site and everyone was staring at me. It was just a real, real big pressure. And 
you go from operating a crane, you know, in a field while you're at college to operating it in a safe yard to being on a site in central London with these massive tall buildings either side of you. And you're thinking, God, I hope I don't stick this into anything. Like this is going to be awful if I stick this, this crane into the shopping centre next door. <laughs> and it was just. Which a is real- a possibility. <laughs> Do you know what? It felt like a possibility. So the crane was like here between the crane, there's, there's a wall. Not a wall, like a bit of wood, and then there's a footpath, and then there's a big building, and it—I mean, that it's that close. <laughs> and in my head, it was even closer than that. But <laughs> the margin for error was there. <laughs> for ages, it was just like a big pressure. So for me, I think okay, people new to construction, they don't know what they're walking into. People have this expectation when they get people in construction that they've been there before, they know what they're doing, they know what they're going to be, and they don't. You go to an office, you start a new office job, people go, oh, this is Katie. Welcome, Katie. Here's your new desk. Here's your new pen. Here's your pad. Everything okay? The bathroom's over there. All right. Everything all right? Shop's down the road. And you get all this nice thing. You work in constructions. Everyone's like, get on with it. And it's these small little things. You go to bathrooms, women's bathrooms on construction sites. <laughs> like, Lord, like sometimes there are women's bathrooms. Sometimes they're used as a storage cupboard. Sometimes the site manager has the key. You have to go and ask the site manager for the key so you can go to the toilet. I mean, I shared a bathroom on a barge with welders for a while. And then I was... Beautiful. Yeah. 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 And I was like, oh, God. So I'd like try a wee just like twice a day and like hold it all day. So I didn't want to use the toilet because it just stank so bad. And then there's like women's PPE is horrendous. It's horrendous. I was lucky operating a crane. You get given a big jacket, comes over your hands. You get in the crane, you take it off. You're fine. You put the heater on. Everything's all right under your trousers because they're not they're not flexy. They're not comfortable. But if you if you're a woman electrician, plumber, bricklayer, someone doing something with your hands that needs you to be a bit flexible, and you're wearing man's PPE that looks like you borrowed it off your dad for the day, you know, there's these little little things that we can change to make people's lives better and less uncomfortable. Things that make people want to get up to work and go to work and not think, oh God, I've got to wear them oversized shoes and that oversized jacket again. How am I going to do my job properly? Or, oh God, I have to go and ask for the key to the toilet. I hate doing that. And, you know, I've been privy to information about people working on railways and there was an email chain of women who were all emailing each other asking how to best dehydrate themselves so they didn't have to use a toilet. And these are the little things. And then we go on to other things like flexibility. As an industry, we're massively inflexible. We're massively not understanding when it comes to the workforce. I'm really passionate about the workforce. Yeah, it's brilliant. You know, the people in the office are fantastic and everything. But I'm very passionate about the workforce because I think it's a really unheard voice. We don't talk to these people. We don't ask how they're feeling. We don't ask what they need. We just expect them to plow on like workhorses and get things done. There's no flexibility in the workforce. I remember having a conversation and there was a CEO of a well-known car. Talk forever, sorry. <laughs> this is perfect. I love it. <laughs> sorry. There's like this CEO of a well-known company. I'm at this event and he's talking about the next generation and how we get them in and what we need to do and all this lot and how well they're doing, you know, this patting himself on the back. I stuck my hand up and I said, how are we supposed to inspire the next generation into an industry that gets up at five in the morning, but doesn't get home till seven, eight, nine o'clock at night? 
five, six, seven days a week. How do we inspire the next generation into that? And he looked at me and he thought, and he went, oh, if you need to come in a bit later in the morning or leave a bit earlier on a night, you just ask your site manager. I'm like, where the hell is he going with this? Like, this wasn't what I asked. Or if your site manager won't do anything, I used to do swimming, but if your site manager won't do anything, just email the CEO and ask them. I think, what planet is this guy living on? Does he actually understand how the workforce works? How hard they work? How many hours there are? I mean, when I was in a crane on site, I'd be putting 70 hour weeks in, you know, week and week and week and week again. And these are the problems. You know, I understand some people want to work all the hours under the sun. It's more money. I get it. But they might come to a point in their life where they've got children, where they've got elderly people to look after, where they've got a partner who's sick, where they need us to understand and give them some allowances so we don't lose them out of their trade, out of their job, out of the things they've spent the last 20, 30 years doing. Rant over. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love your angle. And this is why. And this is coming from me. You're advocating for women in construction, 100%. But the things in my brain that you're talking about as well, too, obviously, minus few, it advocates for just people in construction. It's like, people. hey, this is how we can make the industry better. You're not here being like, no, 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 no. Like, screw the guys that have been doing it forever and putting up with the junk and the women coming in. Well, we want this treatment. You're like, no, like, hey, there's stuff we can do to make women's lives better on a construction site for sure. But this other stuff that I'm talking about, it's actually good just for everybody. It's got to be everyone. In order to make any change, it has to be everyone. It has to be David. It has to be Sandra. It has to be Peter. It has to be open to everyone. Nobody's trying to be exclusive. Men have problems with PPE as well. It's not just women who have problems with PPE. PPE isn't a one size fits all. Men have bigger hands. Men have smaller hands. Men have smaller feet. Men have bigger feet. It's everyone. It's everyone. Flexibility needs to suit everyone. This is why we're losing these people. This is why we have skill shortages. This is why young people can't learn off the older people because they're dying to retire. They just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, it's so true. I love everything you're saying. I think that the mindset that you have, it's like such a winning conversation. I can get down with it because what I have a hard time with sometimes is, you know, if somebody just wants to advocate for one or the other, whether it be guys saying, you know, uh, girls, they can't get special treatment. Or the girls being like, well, we need special treatment or this or that. I like that it's the inclusiveness. It's like, hey, there's stuff we can do to make this better and that better. But as a collective, it can all be better, like flexibility, because there's a lot of guys now, especially even that work for us that, you know, they're like, oh, you know, women need more, need more time to look, pick up their kids from daycare. It's like, well, it's a changing world. And a lot of the times, maybe the woman is the, uh, the breadwinner. And the guy needs to leave work. Like we see a lot of that difference now, even just from when I was growing up and the workers that we had when I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight, it was like, oh, the wife's picking up this, the wife's doing that, the wife's, well, now it's changing. And it's like, oh, well, I, I got to pick up my kids uh, from daycare at 3.30 today. And just in that, it's so it's, it's kind of just everybody, you know, like it's, it's super refreshing hearing that, Kate. It's look, it's got to be, it's got to be everyone. And it's like I say, your mindset changes. The longer you see things going on, the longer you speak to people who work on site. And yeah, you know, I am a woman, obviously. <laughs> so I do understand about women's problems, maybe sure. slightly more. But the majority of the problems that we have in industry and the majority of problems around skill shortages and getting people into industry, it has to be inclusive. We have to bring everyone to the table. I mean, 
women, I mean men, I mean different religions, I mean different colors. I mean, it just has to be inclusive or else we're going to come up against a problem. 100% agree. We've already got a problem. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so I think it was what? It was just after Con Expo. I remember seeing on your social media, you're like, hey, I'm switching roles, right? Was that just after, or just before? It was April. So it was April that I completely changed job roles. So it was a month after Connect. Yeah. And it was, okay. um, it was interesting. So how did that come about? I guess COVID kind of changed things a lot from the crane. So I, obviously I was a crane operator. I worked on some substantial projects, really enjoyed it. And I guess the problem was I started being asked to do more things. So more school visits more interviews, more different things, which my company at the time loved. You know, it's good exposure. And I'm always fairly positive, so it always goes down quite well. And then I did my appointed person's ticket. So the appointed person, I don't know if you have the same role or whether you call it something else, but the appointed person plans the lifts and does all the lift planning and everything. I oversees the lifting team. So still very much in cranes. And then when COVID hit, everything kind of changed for me and I was put on furlough from the site I was working on. I was still being paid, but I wasn't working. They asked me, would I go back and run their LinkedIn page? Because I was doing that on the side as being the AP and the crane operator and things like that. And I was like, yeah, fine. So I, I started down that route and then I was dealing with slinger signalers. And then it just all kind of changed again. And the CPA, the Construction Plant Hire Association reached out to me and they said, would I be interested in joining? They're going to make a new role, technical and development officer. And I thought, do you know what? It, it come at a time where I was kind of questioning what my next move would be. And look, I'm, I'm a great believer in pushing forward. Keep pushing forward as, as much as you can. And I was kind of like, well, what's going to happen to me now? You know, and you kind of, I'm, I'm not in a crane. I don't feel as useful as I used to feel. <laughs> it's, it's a real weird position I'm in. And then this come up and I was like, that could be a really good move. That could be a really, really good move. And they're, they're really nice people. So I took the jump. That's awesome. So you, so you said at the beginning, you're looking at the apprentice program that you took yourself. Yeah. How weird's that? So I was in a meeting on Thursday. I was in a meeting on Thursday because we're rewriting the apprentice program. There's like, you know, a big working group full of us just to make it more obtainable. Because what happens is I think people aren't using it as much as they used to. And it's getting hard. It was kind of hard for people to pass certain segments of it. So and I guess this was 2014, 2015 when this apprenticeship was written. So it's time for a, a revamp. What were some of the issues on it? Like some different sections of it that were more difficult to pass, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't overly know. I just, I think they changed it slightly. And I think them obtaining proof of what they were doing on site and getting their portfolio together and they just weren't passing it. It was almost like a stopper and it was taking too long to get people through. So I think a lot of companies started to stop using it. So there wasn't as many lifting technicians going through it as there was at the start. So it's just, just time for a revamp. It's quite exciting that I get to influence the next lifting technician apprenticeship. That's wild. Do they see since you, like, is it the number still super scarce for women that are taking the course? Is there much uh, activity on that front? So, I mean, in terms of crane operators, there's still a limited number of women. So I, I mean, I like to think I brought a couple in. <laughs> For sure. That was you know, what I was going to ask. You know, like, you know, do some people reach out to you and are like, hey, you know, I've, I've gone into this because of watching your stuff or seeing you 
advocate for this. Early doors, there was one point, I was, this is a random story. I was in a, a garden center in the pet shop area a bit. So, and I was buying fish. So I, I used to have fancy goldfish. So I was in there <laughs> fish. Is it, stay with me. Stay with me. I'll get. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's go somewhere. I promise. No, okay. I'm in there buying fish and I'm up at the till. And uh, there's this, this girl serving me and she's like, I follow you on Instagram. I'm like, all right. And she was like, yeah, you're the crane operator. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I am. She was like, I'd like to be a crane operator. I'm like, awesome. You want to be? I was like, let's do this. But she's been operating. I don't know. Lindsay's probably been operating about seven years herself now. So tower cranes. That's crazy. Recently, I've had a, a couple of other girls that I met through. I collect trainers. So <laughs> a girl I met through there, she's just done the crawler crane course at my old company I used to work for. And she's out on one of the big sites in London doing crawler cranes now. So I like to think I've had a little influence on, on the numbers, but they're, they're still massively low. They're massively, massively low. Female crane operators, I think we all know each other because there's just not that many of us. Yeah, that's wild. Is there anybody that you look up to or mentor? I'm always interested in that because the idea of starting social media, at least for me, came at like two in the morning one night when I was, you know, sitting on the couch and I was watching some guy plow snow on YouTube. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I could showcase something like, was there kind of like a click moment or somebody that like you were like, uh, maybe they weren't promoting in the construction industry or they're just doing social media or somebody that you kind of looked up to that you're like, I want to do that as well. Or, hey, they're giving me this extra push to do what I should be doing right now. No. And you know what? I wish I had like a really cool answer for that. What pushed me to do it was just the absence of women in construction. And that's what pushed me to setting up my Instagram and doing the LinkedIn and everything. It was just the absence of role models for young people. And that's what like drove that. me to do it. You said it wasn't a good answer, but that's an amazing answer. That's awesome. It doesn't have to stem from something. And you're saying it kind of just stemmed from me seeing a lack of something. So it came within and now I get to do this. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. It's, it's a good, a valid reason than any to start a social media. But I just thought young people need role models. They need to see, and I'm not saying, oh, I'm a role model because I wouldn't tell anyone to follow my path, but they need to see people doing a variety of different jobs. They need to know that the doors are open for them in any industry they want to go in. I created these stickers that I take to school that like have little me as a crane operator say girls can't what and it's just to say girls can do whatever they want to do you want to work in construction go work in construction you want to operate a crane you want to operate a do you want to operate a dozer you go do it nobody's stopping you from doing that and it all stemmed from that i love that what is a typical day in the life of katie cranes at the moment it's a lot more mellow than it used to be which isn't isn't a bad thing i guess i'm flexing my brain a little bit more than i'm used to so the Construction Plant Hire Association, where a membership association is the basis of what we do. So people join us because we, mostly because their insurance companies tell us to join us because we offer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we offer we have stuff like, sort of like that as well. <laughs> rental terms and conditions that they like to buy for, for plant hire. But off the back of that, we also run a lot of interest groups. So the Tower Crane Interest Group, the Crawler Crane Interest Group, we bring everyone together from... Anyone who's interested in manufacturers, plant hire companies together to put out guidance documents. So we provide a lot of guidance documents. And I spend a lot of time reading these guidance documents and editing them and going through them and making sure that 
everything's okay and that it makes sense and it's all legal. And it, a lot of my time's kind of spent doing these kind of things now and, and the apprenticeships, working on apprenticeships. And it's a lot more stressful on my brain, but a lot easier <laughs> on everything else. And that's kind of just a natural progression, right? As you kind of fall, like for me, I think it sounds like it is just such a good opportunity for you. You're like, okay, I've been doing this. I can still do what I want to do on social media and advocate for stuff I want to advocate, but this actually might give me, you know, better quality of life and kind of like pursue that angle of it, which is super cool. And I love that you're working with the apprentice programs because for me, so we take on a lot of co-op students here. I actually have one starting another. So co-op here, I'm not sure if you have the co-op programs or you know what that is, but co-op, we have local high schools. And when students are in grade 11 or 12, they have the option of doing a course for a semester. So half a year called co-op. So basically for a full day, they go out and they work somewhere. They're not getting paid. They can, but most of them, 90%, they're not getting paid. They're going out. They're just getting experience. And they're not allowed working with family. If your parents owned a business, you're not allowed working with anybody that they have any history of knowing. And for me, that program, I have two guys that work with me full-time now that did co-op with me in high school and then flipped over and stayed. And I think that it's just such an important course to get young kids, young students to go into a field because I remember when we first started, I had tangents as well too. I remember when we first started, my father was like, well, we're going to have a kid here that's, you know, never ran a machine or been around construction. Like that's dangerous. And I'm like, hundred percent, he'd be guided and, and watched. But I said, dad, that's the point. The point he goes, oh, we don't have much, you know, he'd just be standing on site watching because we're here for two weeks. That's the point. The point is to get them exposed, to show them what it's like. What are the people like on site? What's it like to be on a job site? Little things that every day when we show up and we take for granted, people don't know. Like, what is it like being on a job site? What's it like showing up on the first day when everyone's staring at you, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> eating a, a sandwich, you know, like it's crazy. That's what I love about what you're doing, because I don't know, I just think it's really important. And that, that part really sticks with with me of what you're doing. Do you have something like that there? I guess it's kind of like what we call, we do work experience where we go off for a week and we work somewhere, like you say, usually for free. I skived out of it in school and I, I was sick, but kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I just was the same. I just, I just couldn't find anything. But I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that there's, there's chances to show people what we do. And that is one of those great chances because most of, quite often people don't understand. And I don't know about where you are, but in the UK, working in construction and especially working in trades and on the tools, it's not seen as, as a great career. And the teacher would always kind of say, if you don't work hard, you're going to end up there. All your parents would say it was that kind of narrative, which is why I get really upset when people go. Still is the narrative. It is. I'd like to hope that with people, you know, such as yourself, that it is changing through exposure online, but it's just getting that older generation, you know, when they go to them and be like, Hey, I kind of want to run machinery. It's like, really? No, you're going to go to university and you're going to get this. You're going to go to college. You're gonna get it. It's like, well, I don't want to do that, but you're right. It sucks because it's looked down on. It is looked down on. And it's, it's so annoying to me. And even when I hear people talk about, I mean, like when I do these school talks and things with other people and people say, Oh, you know, it's not all muddy boots and hard hats and PPE and it's not, it's not all that. But no, it is all that. Yes, you can work in the office. Yes, you can do CAD. You can do drawings. You can do architecture. You can do all this. 
But the majority of what we do needs to be done on the ground by people. They need to be done by hand. So sailing people, oh, you don't have to be muddy. It's not all muddy. It's for the best times of my life I've had her on site. The best cracks, the best laughs, the best people I've met are through working in construction site. And, you know, people go to me, do you miss operating a crane? I said, I bloody do miss operating a crane because it was the one thing in my life that I knew I was good at. Do I miss working 70 hours a week? Hell no, do I miss working 70 hours a week. But yes, I miss doing what I was good at. It's true. And like, I'm the same as well. You know, I'm such an advocate for blue collar, the site, the camaraderie. And I look at it a lot of the times. It's like, well, it's a privilege that we get to go out. We're out on some of the most beautiful, nice days where everyone else is, you know, maybe stuck in an office. But we're also out there on the worst days when everyone else is in an office as well, too. So there's a lot of, of trade-offs back and forth, but I truly believe, I mean, Blue Collar has fed my, my family for three generations. You know, I, I argued uh, with a, a past girlfriend's parents before, and uh, they always kind of would look down on my workers and talk poorly about my workers, you know, and our team, our, our guys and girls. And I remember always just never saying anything or sticking up because I was younger. And then not till I was older, now I have kids. It just really hit me. And I was like, my father and my mother, everybody, like our family ate and survived and still does from the backs of blue collar. And I think that that is so important to kind of not lose sight of. Yeah, no, and absolutely. I mean, you, you know, my, my father's a bricklayer by trade. I mean, he doesn't do it anymore. He's, he's getting on a bit, but he's a fifth generation bricklayer, a real craftsman, can do anything with bricks. You know, that kind of. Yeah. I mean, I'm not just talking about knocking up a house. I'm, I'm on about he could do real, real fancy things with bricks. And I guess growing up, I never quite understood what that meant. And, you know, we'd go into London and he'd be pointing at these buildings and he'd say, I built that. I built that. You see that brickwork over that? Oh. The classic dad driving around. <laughs> and I never understood how good that felt. But now I got, I'm like, if I go to Tottenham Court cool Road Station, I am like, I built this station. I built yeah. it. Me. Look at me. You know, like, yeah, there were hundreds of other people. We just ignore those. It was me. I built it. I built this. I changed the way people live in London. I changed their lives for the better by being part of that project. So I built part of the sewer. I was part of building a sewer that changes the River Thames in London to be cleaner, to be better for the environment and to help the people around it. That you can say things like that is one of the best things about our job. And one of the best things about being blue collar, on site, doing what you have to do. What is next for Katie Cranes? It's <laughs> a good question. Do you know what? And I, I always feel like when I talk to people, people expect me to have crazy plans. And, you know, we talk about social media plans. That was never planned. I don't feel like anything in my life has ever been planned. And most of the time I feel like I've got through life on a wing and a prayer and <laughs> and I'm still what I call winging it. And whatever I've done, I always feel like a little bit of an imposter. And I'm always shocked when things go really well. Like when I got invited to Con Expo with you guys, like blew my mind. Like to be in Vegas talking about these things with people like you, I was like, how do I get these opportunities? And every little thing that I do, everything that I get invited to, absolutely blows my mind every single time. And I am so grateful that people think of me to do these things, honestly. What's next? I don't know. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got my own podcast, nowhere near as popular as this one, which I really enjoy. 
And I, I think I'm going to keep up with that. But that's mostly about telling stories. What's the name of that one? Where can people find that? It's uh, Tales from the Hook. So it's on Spotify, on Apple, and a very crany pun there. But I like it. It's about people. It's I love people and I love getting different people in from different areas of industry to tell their stories because that's the best way to sell the industry. I totally agree. Okay. People can find you at Tales on the Hook. Where else can people find you, Katie? They can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, everywhere. Katie Cranes. Yeah. www.katiecranes.com. Everything's on there. I appreciate you coming on the podcast today, Katie. It, uh, for the first time. <laughs> this wasn't the second time just to be clear next time you come on it will be the second time i mean i know i talk a lot it feels like i've been here for three months oh man after this i'm going on like i don't know <laughs> where i'm getting confused with but anyways katie thanks for coming on this podcast was brought to you by our good friends over at komatsu of course you take care katie thank you thank you